We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 191 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Melissa from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. It's once a fortnight. Melissa, how are you? I'm well, Johnny. Thank you. How are you? I am. Well, I told you just before we started here, I'm, I'm about 90% ready to just come off the handle and 10% of me <laughs> is doing so good. If I felt any better, it wouldn't be legal, right? That's that's that 10% talking right there. No, I'm actually, I'm, I'm having a really good day. Uh, I, good. I do have to say that. So I am a little bit upset. I had to send Ned, he's one of our UK guys. I had to send him some uh, podcast business cards and mm -hmm. I bought the wrong shipping label. And you, you know, you can't get a refund on those things once you bought them. So I bought the wrong label. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I looked at it and I'm like, because I, I didn't pay any attention to the size of the package that it should have been. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, no, I got the wrong the wrong size. I, I got the wrong the wrong label. And there's nothing you can do. You know, you, it's a one off thing. You, you can't you can't. Now, if I'd have been in like the post office or something, then that would have been different. But mm, yeah, I was stuck with it. Yeah, it's too bad. It's all right. Well, I can keep the label for a different thing. If I happen to send something else, I can keep it. So it's OK. And of course, before we begin, I would just like to take the moment to remind our listeners that we did take a big risk when we started all of this. We are not backed by fake corporate dollars that push fake agendas that make everyone hate each other. So if you're interested in supporting the work that we do, we do offer additional features with our now active subscription service. Benefits include access to our instant messaging service for direct communication to us, along with early access to upcoming and sometimes unpublished podcasts, as well as exclusive access to our behind the scenes uncensored prep sessions, where we we talk about things that sometimes don't make it to the final product, which you're hearing now. So if you want to take part in this fight with us, if you want to support a team that's willing to do the real research and not give you fake nonsense for talking points, if you want to say screw you to the mainstream media like CNN, Fox News, BBC, Sky News, and MSNBC, then the link is in the program description down below where you can come on board with us and you can take advantage of these benefits that we're offering to you. And by doing so, you will support our work and you will support the research that goes along with that work. And together we can take the fight to the doorsteps of these frauds that are on the television, in the media, and the talking heads in the international stage. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, per month. Together, we can take action as subscriptions start at just $5 per month. Are you still unsure of what you're getting? We now offer a 30-day free trial, which includes unlimited access to all features and content. Again, the link is in the program description down below. So as I told you, I have been combing through the headlines of the day. And as we usually do, because we like to talk, you know, talk about like whatever's going on, and we just like pick things apart and kind of connect dots for people because that's what we love to do. And uh, maybe I'll find something in the course of it. But uh, you had said that, you know, you've got a couple of things that you're more than willing to just throw out there. And one of them was some really good propaganda. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. So go right ahead. Let's 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 go with what you've got. Okay. This morning, I was looking at a few things that I thought might be interesting to talk about. And they it's following up on a line of inquiry that I've been on. And I was listening to a couple of talks about this, and then I thought, well, let's just check the the email and see if anybody has sent in something interesting. And I noticed there that there was a, a newsletter that comes in that has been coming into the email for years and years. And I wasn't going to say what it was if we talked about it, but I, I don't really think it matters that much. I was telling you just before you hit record and you said, no, no, don't say anything else. Just keep it all for recording. So this is a newsletter. How if, if you 
speak publicly, you just start getting things in your inbox that kind of relate to what you're talking about. You didn't ask for them. You didn't sign up for them. And I was telling you that this is something that had come into Alan's email address for many years. And I don't know if he ever looked at them. I don't think that we ever linked to it on the website. So I I don't know. And I never paid attention to it until maybe about a year ago. And then I started saying, well, there's some interesting headlines there, but I didn't really use it. Well, this morning I actually went headline by headline and I thought, oh my goodness, this is great. So it is called CLG News and that stands for Citizens for Legitimate Government which is a nonprofit organization. It is a, um, here's the debunker on it, or the, the media bias fact check said it claims to be a multipartisan activist group to expose and resist U.S. imperialism, corpora terrorism, and the New World Order. It was founded and is edited by Michael Rechtenwald, Ph.D., Well, I'll come back to him, but I just want to give you right now, this is today's headlines. No elections now, Zelensky. Ukraine's leader has said a vote can't be held while martial law is in effect. And people are kind of bummed out about this. Evidently, he's been getting a lot of pressure from the West to organize a vote to preserve the, I love the way this is worded, to preserve the perception Perception of democracy. <laughs> perception of democracy. Yeah. So we're not democracies you, now. We're we're just the perception of democracy. Yes. Okay, got did, it. Did Did you ever read Plato's Republic? Yes, a very long time ago. But yes, and I, well, I was telling the, you that the book that I recommend to you, Shadow World by Robert Chandler, which kind of expounds upon uh, Rene Wormsier's um, Foundations found, book. Uh-huh. The first two chapters are about Plato's Republic and and how that that all kind of ties together and how you can make the comparisons. But yeah, go on. Sorry, I'm. Well, that no, that's that okay. It's just that that it's been many years since I read it, but I do recall being struck at the time and never forgetting that throughout the dialogue, what kept coming up was that what did not matter was justice. Justice doesn't matter, but the appearance of justice is crucial. So here we go. They they need to have a vote to keep up, to preserve the perception of democracy. And Zelensky said, I believe that now is not the time for elections. <laughs> okay, so, so he, what <laughs> you're saying is, is that we don't even have, what they're saying is, we don't even have the perception of democracy. So we're going right. for the perception of democracy, but yet we don't even have that. That's okay. Yep. But he, they're they're weighing it. Zelensky's weighing it, and he thinks that perhaps 2024 is the year. Perhaps, uh-huh, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. All right. The the next headline is U.S. and U.K. oppose anti-Nazi resolution at UN. The UN General what? Assembly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The U.N. General Assembly has adopted a resolution condemning the glorification of neo-Nazism, racism, and other forms of hatred, despite the opposition from many Western countries, including the U.S., U.K., and Canada. The resolution that condemns the persistence and resurgence of neo-Nazism, neo-fascism, and violent nationalist ideologies based on racial and national prejudice was adopted on Friday by a vote of 111 to 50 with 14 abstentions. So, okay, all right. I I'm a I'm an amateur student of history, right? I, I just mm-hmm. dabble in it because I think it's fascinating and it, it's very relevant to what we do and and where we come from and where we are and where we're going. And I know you are as well. You know, and, and as you said last week, you said we're about as grassroots as you can get, right? So we're not anywhere near the the mainstream or, or any of that stuff. We we don't get the corporate dollars or any of that stuff. We don't have mm-hmm. agendas. But I do believe, having not discussed this, I do believe that if any of that kind of activity were going on, given the amount of study that we have done in our own private lives into that time period that took place in Europe, I do believe that we would be the first people to see that kind of activity, don't you? Yes. If it were taking place. And we would all, not only would we we'd be able to see it, we would be calling it out publicly and speaking against it. And I don't see any of that actually happening because I don't see any of the aforementioned actually existing, except in the minds of these 
crazy organizations like the United Nations. Well, I mean, that's it. I have not looked at the resolution, so I don't know the wording or the, or anything. But I, I, all I could say when I looked at that was if it's coming from the UN, it has to be littered with sovereignty crippling language. It's just oh, got yeah. to be insane, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, here's this is the last th- this is this is one more that I'll share from CLG. And I'm sorry, I don't know that I can read this without laughing, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Please Blink. do because I I have the mute <laughs> button, so you go ahead. All right, I'm, I'm laughing already. Blinken tells Abbas he asked Israel to use smaller bombs on Gaza. Smaller bombs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry. We, we don't like the size of a bomb you're using. Uh, could you use a smaller one, please? There's no, there's no talk of a ceasefire. No, it's there's just no, use a smaller There's bomb. no talk. Yeah. <laughs> could you use smaller bombs, please? What nightmare world did we wake up in? It's like, I'm like, I, I look at this, this, cl- like, this is clown world. This is, this is crazy stuff. Uh, I, I know, mean, I've, it. it I, I have to say, about, yeah, please go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, I have to say, I mean, this is one th- good soundbite that came from the UN this week. And they said Gaza has turned into a graveyard for children. And what is going on there is horrific. And the death count that just keeps rising and rising, we're well over 10,000 Palestinians who are dead from this. And it's it is not a laughing matter. That is no. not a laughing matter. It's no, just it's, it's terrible. But somebody like Blinken, for this to even be taken seriously, that people can even look at him when he's saying, "Could you please use a smaller bomb?" What 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 does that do? Uh, the, so sorry, oh, they they'll to... use they'll use smaller <laughs> bombs, but they'll use more of them. I mean, we're talking about. Um, ha- I know that you've seen the footage. I know that you know what's going on there. It's oh, yeah. horrific. And yeah. and we know that they have, well, what they've said is that they've encircled Gaza City. Well, what has really happened is that they've laid that area to waste. It's rubble, rubble. I've I've seen a lot of footage um, in the last, uh, I saw some last night and it's, it is it is completely cut off. They they've isolated at least from what I understand. It's it's you know completely surrounded, if you will. They've cut off. I believe I I don't even think they have water and electricity in there. I think they've cut all that off too, haven't they? Yes. So again, as you say, there's no talk of a ceasefire from either no. side. There, there's no. nobody that's wanting to dial this down. And I, I had mentioned something to you in, before we started, and I, I'm not going to get into that yet because I don't think that person would want me saying that publicly yet. But I don't see this stopping. I, I don't see this being dialed down. I, and I talked to somebody last week, and the, the only question they had for me was, is this going to stop? And I said, no. I, I, I think you're right. I think the only way that this stops is what would actually be called a, a slowdown or a, a dial down while some other horrific event is happening somewhere else. But you can see, I mean, what happened over the last, say, month and a half is this mass exodus of the ethnic Armenians out of this disputed area in Azerbaijan. And the world did not take note. The Christians that fled. Is that what you're saying? The Christians, yes, yes. Yeah, we didn't hear anything about that. I mean, I I heard about it, obviously, because we we pay attention to that, but nobody bothered to pay attention to it in the mainstream. No one had a news camera on it, so no one cared. No, no. It's just so what so if something was going to take the spotlight away from Israel Hamas it would be briefly, and I can't imagine what it would be because this is center stage right now. Right and it's just, ter- yeah, it, it's terrible. But when I see a headline like that, and I know who Antony Blinken is, I know his background, I know how, you know, he's Council on Foreign Relations and uh, regular speaker at Aspen Institute and the, you know, Aspen Security Forum. Did you see what his job was before he took the job as a Secretary of State? I sure did. Uh-huh. The company that he co-founded, uh huh, and he was also head of the uh, the Biden Center at the university. He yes, he was head of the Biden Center, and then he um, he co-founded a company. I think I believe I don't retain things like this that well, but I think it was called West Execs, 
and they were a consulting firm. They are a consulting firm. And in their companies that they consult for, and they they say that they don't have to disclose who their clients are or any of the terms of business. But when he was being um, proposed to be Secretary of State and sworn in, they had to have a little bit of disclosure for that. And so we discovered that amongst the people that this company is consulting for are Boeing, that's military industrial complex, Gilead, that's a, he, that's a pharmaceutical uh, company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And was consulting with Gilead that they consulted with Gilead in terms of what they call it an orphan clause on how a pharmaceutical product doesn't have to go through certain public releases in order to be competitive. In other words, there can be a non-compete on the project or the product, excuse me, if this if it's whatever they're proposing it for is affecting less than 200,000 people. So they got an orphan clause on their product remdesivir in March of 2020. Ah, oh uh, yeah, yeah. I also okay. heard uh, one of the biggest investors to, to Gilead since uh, the pandemic was George Soros. I have to go back and double check that, but Sor- I remember seeing Soros and Gilead mixed up, those two names mixed up in, in a lot of things during COVID. Well, that that's certainly possible. I haven't come across that one yet. But so this is the U.S. Secretary of State. He's in it up to his eyeballs and beyond. And so what you're talking about, I think, is I'll just say it. I mean, this is one example of it being involved in war on the people in multiple, multiple levels. Yeah. It's disgusting. It is absolutely yeah. disgusting. Yeah. And you want to know why he's the Secretary of State? Because they probably got him compromised 19 ways to Sunday from all those business dealings. So well. you're telling me you're telling me that you don't think that he's capable of taking a, a suitcase full of money behind the scenes from all that stuff that he was tied up in. Anyway, that, that's just speculation. I don't want to get into that. I had mentioned to you in, in, uh, in the beginning that if I were a dictator for a day, just a day, right? I, I don't need all that time in the world. I just need a day. Just give me a day. If you thought Donald Trump was hated, just give me a day. 12 to 18 hours. I don't even need a full day. 12 to 18 hours. I would round up every one of these sorry sacks that are stirring up this problem of their little small bombs and everything else. And I would put them on ships. I said this last week when we were closing the week out. I said I would put them on ships. I would put them on planes. And I'd put them over there in the middle of this mess that they've caused. And you know what? I don't think I'd find a lot of disagreement from most people about that, because I think the animosity and the sentiment towards those types of people that we're discussing, I think it's that high. Well, this is something that uh, that I was reminding people in the the real history that I'll be putting up tomorrow that I recorded yesterday. And that is that one thing that that Alan always encouraged people was to accept the worst. You know, the, if you can say they would do that, they are doing that, they have done that, then you can start to understand what's really going on. But you have to understand, you have to be willing to accept they would kill us because they have killed us and they are killing us. There is nothing that these people won't do to reach the ends that they have planned. Nothing. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know how to to reach the average person that's still kind of like they they understand, I think, at this point now that something's not right. And they understand that that things are happening that shouldn't be happening, if that makes any sense. So like Mm -hmm. everybody was kind of expecting everything to just go back to normal after COVID and it didn't. And then the conflict in in Ukraine started. And then now you've got this in uh, in Israel uh, in Gaza. And I don't think people are aware of how fast this can come unraveled. I, I recall reading in, in Tragedy and Hope uh, the lead ups to both World War One and World War Two. you know, the events that took place leading up to that. And things 
have a tendency to, and it works this way every time, they have a tendency to just, it starts small and it's just one thing. And then it's the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And then all of a sudden, everybody loses their cool. Nobody keeps their ego in check. And the conflict just envelops the entire world. And I don't think people are are prepared for this. I had this limited conversation with somebody last night, and that was they are still stuck in this this mindset of, well, I need to plan this vacation, or I need to I need to figure out, um, you know, I'm going to need to buy uh, my landscaping a couple of years. And I'm like, do you not understand what's happening? <laughs> like, I I just I, I don't I don't understand how to snap people out of it. It's like everybody just wants to go back to their their normal lives. And, and I get it. I totally get it. You know, people want to go back to the way it was. Even the person that asked me the uh, the question from the other day, asking me if this was going to stop, and I said no. The other question that that person asked me was, do you think this is going to go back to somewhat normal prior to COVID? Do you think this is going to go back to that within our lifetimes? And I didn't know what to say to that because I don't know. Well, I'll help you if I can. Please. Things, things don't go back. You know, th things. Yeah, well, it's never back the way that it was. Yes, you're you're right. It comes it comes back in an abstract form in one way or another. But well, I, I, I think if we take what we know uh, in terms of their published plans, the, the the idea of a fourth industrial revolution, and then they've been writing for a hundred years about a greatly reduced population and purpose-made people, a eugenics program, you know, the perfect worker. And then you add in some other little elements like artificial intelligence. I think that what that will go into a future, which of course I, I can't predict, I can't know, but I don't think it will look like anything that we've seen before. It won't look any more like what it was pre three years ago or pre 10 years ago than say 1905 looks to today. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I, it, I see it, things, I see things kind of somewhat stabilizing, but I, I see it this time around. If, if it's not, if it's not somehow stopped it, somehow, I, I don't know how that, that would go even, but if it's not somehow stopped, I see I see at least a partial implementation of what these guys like Klaus Schwab and these World Economic Forum types, I see even a partial implementation of that type of totalitarianism, that type of, of digital prison being brought in. Mm -hmm. Uh, even if it's in a limited form or if it's in an abstract form from what their stated goals are, I still think they'll go for some form of it with along with what you're talking about, a greatly reduced population. I mean, we can already see what that is and what it, what their numbers are talking about. And it's in our intro. I, I can go back. I mean, this is this is pre uh, long before pre COVID. But this goes back to uh, the writings of guys like uh, Paul Ehrlich and Ann Ehrlich and uh, mm -hmm. John P. Holdren, these types of people that were Malthusians believed in Malthusianism. If you want to learn more about that, go look up Sir Thomas Malthus. Uh, he was the, the founder of that particular way of thinking. And it was a way of balancing population size against the consumption of resources. And you had to keep a, a you know, a, a kind of a balance in there. Otherwise, the whole thing's going to upset itself and the entire ecosystem is going to come unraveled. They co-wrote a book called Ecoscience. And in there, Dennis Meadows even wrote part of that, part of those a couple of chapters in there. Uh, and I can and share that with you. And we're talking uh, Club of Rome here, the, yes, the Club yes. of Rome people. That, yeah. Yes, and I've I've played that clip of Meadows before, and it's it's in our it's in our opening uh, where he says, "I hope it can be done in a peaceful way." When I say peaceful, I mean a you know a civil way. And he's mm -hmm. talking openly about reducing the population of, of the world, not just uh, America. He's talking about the world, and these people mm -hmm. are just. They're sitting there in front of these cameras, just calmly, candidly talking about it. Like, yeah, it's yeah, we're we're gonna have to get rid of all these people. And they just like these are these are people with with graduate degrees from some of our top educational institutions, and this is what they think of people. Yeah, there it's it is in the open, and it has been in the open, and I don't see. You see, the trouble is, it would take some kind of cataclysm. I've heard lots of people, you know, talk about supernatural intervention. You know, I'm not going to go there, but it would take, Alan used to say, if things were to, and he never, he would never say go back, but he would say, if things are going to get better, if humanity comes through this, then it will take this huge, horrific event or series of events 
and then some people on the fringes rebuild. So what he's talking about is true humanity somehow coming through an event or a series of events. Because what, see, uh, just to finish up on CLG, Mr. Rechtenwald or Dr. Rechtenwald, he was a Marxist. He's taught at NYU or went to school. You know, I mean, he's he's got heavy credentials, but I guess he had some kind of series of seeing the world differently. And now he calls himself a libertarian. But when I I look at CLG and I see citizens for legitimate government, and I think, well, there's really nothing for me to learn from him or from this because we're so far past a place where citizens can participate in something called legitimate government. It's been hijacked, you know, maybe from the get-go. So... I can understand Alan saying, you know, it's it's something very different, very different than anything we've ever seen before that people build out of the rubble. I'm I'm actually I have to admit I'm you you've piqued my curiosity right there on on the point where you said a small group of people on the fringes, right? Because it, it's never it's never a majority that makes the change in the world, mm-hmm. is it? It's always a minority, you know, a very small minority. If you're right. to just or, or an own, individual. Or an, an individual. individual. Yes. Yeah. Or an individual. That's where you see the major change. And I I've been saying that, you know, we, we need new ideas. We need new heroes because we don't have any. You know, we, we don't have any. We've got stupid children that are in charge of things. So how do we, unless we become that lone voice, if you will, that that sole voice that talks reason to people. Because I don't see anybody talking reason. If you do, please let me know, because <laughs> I don't. I've been looking for somebody to talk reason somewhere. And even the uh, alternative, which we think is all mostly controlled opposition anyway. But I see nobody talking reason. I see nobody talking about thinking things through. I see nobody talking about anything involving any kind of common sense. And I see nobody talking about anything involving any kind of legitimate rebuilding and putting us on the right track to get people into a sense of wanting to build a society and maintain it. All I hear from these so-called alternatives are, we're going to rebuild uh, uh, rebuild uh, this, or we're going to do this, or we're going to build back better, or we're going to um, build a new republic. I don't want a new republic. I want the old one back. The old one worked just fine until we got off track. So how do we become that fringe minority that makes a difference? I'm just asking, maybe I'm not asking for a specific answer or, you know, a be all end all, but just more or less your suggestion, something that we can do, because that's what I feel like we have to do is we have to be that fringe minority that you're referencing Alan on. Well, again, it's not a package answer, but there, I do have thoughts on that. I would say for people looking for a voice of reason, go to the archive and listen to the talks of Alan Watt. They are timeless. So that's one place to start. Those, that's timeless talks. And I'll say something else. I don't want to hammer this too hard because I don't want to make it sound like, the, you know, Alan wants prediction for the future. But he has been asked this question of, you know, build, what happens? How do people build back and so forth? And he's been asked this question on air. And I think at, at one point he was pretty clear in saying it's out of the rubble. So it's when there is the cataclysm, that's what he said, what stops these people? It's the unknown. For all of the plans that they've made, for all of the contingencies, for everything that they have done to try to game out their future and all possibilities, they simply can't know everything. And it would be, as Alan said, a true cataclysm. And by true, he meant not man-made, something that they couldn't game, they couldn't predict, that caused a near wipeout. And from that destruction, what is left rebuilds. And I can say I'm of a mind just based on being on the face of the earth long enough and having many different kinds of experiences and I not wanting to put my faith in my fellow man. And that is not um, misanthropic. That is not what I mean. But in looking inward to be my own champion, to be an individual, to be my own voice of reason, that I, I think it is 
true individuality, if when we say, well, this is who I am, and I won't be made to be something other than that to fit into the standardized utopia that you have planned for us. The, and, and that means there'll be lots of lines in the sand that you draw for yourself. I don't go there. I don't think about that. I don't talk about that. I don't associate with that because these are my lines in the sand. I am an individual and I matter. And so it isn't coming together, you know, citizens for legitimate government, because I have had the wonderful opportunity of talking to many different people from many walks of life, not in part because of Alan's work, but also in my life before Alan. And what I understand, even with family that I love and friends or whatever, show me where you can find two or three people who agree at the marrow on anything. I tell you, I've I've traveled quite a ways around the world and I, I have yet to see anything like that. I don't want to live in a world where that happens, if that makes sense. I, I don't I don't want to to have everyone agreeing on everything all the time because what well you're right you're you're at you're, I mean no I'm I'm sorry to interrupt but that was you made me enthusiastic you I just heard Alan say this in a, a a talk the other day it might have even been the one that I put up on the weekend but he said the trouble with a standardized world where they want to take us where we are this digital chipped whatever however we get there cookie cutter world. He said, we have to have individuality where people respect huge differences in one another. We do. And I, I, I can't even see where we like, we, we can't even agree on universal truths now. Do, do you mm. see, do you see where we are? When I, when I say, yeah. when I say universal truths, man, woman, we can't even agree on what that is now. This is ridiculous. Th- this is lunacy. Yes. <laughs> and I, I need to spend more time and I'm, I, I, I don't have very much of it to spend. But the only thing I can think is the answers that we're looking for to the present are in the ancient past somewhere. And I, because I, I haven't found anywhere and I'm not trying to be pessimistic or anything like that at all. Right. But I'm, I'm kind of going off of what you said of, about from the rubble. Right. Because if there's one thing that we know, it's the unknowns that you were talking about, maybe not necessarily something cataclysmic or, or whatever, or it could be. I don't know. But what I can say for certain is all the research that I've done looking at various forms and, and various points of history, history is littered with unknowns. You could put the best computers on it today with the best algorithms possible, and you still couldn't calculate some of the unknowns that took place in the past that changed the course of history. Mm hmm. And so if we don't at least try to figure out where we're going, then we're going to end up in what you're talking about. We're going to end up in that that digital just nightmare. And I don't have any interest in that. None whatsoever. Negative interest. That's my new term now is negative interest. <laughs> so I, I have no interest in that whatsoever. Uh, and I will fight to the end on that one. But I'm I'm more of a uh, of a hopeful person when it comes to the unknowns, because I want to be or, or at least I want to be a part of one of those unknowns that changes things that these people are not expecting. I want things to go in the direction of a positive future, not a negative repressive one like they're talking about. I'm not interested in that, right? We've seen what what repression and what totalitarianism and collectivism and everything else, whatever you want, whatever label you want to stick on it, right? We saw enough of that in the 20th century. I don't want the 21st century to be littered with that. So I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I need I need to do more looking. I need to do more research. But nearest I can tell, every civilization that has gotten to the point where we are, again, I'm not trying to be a pessimist because I'm an optimist, but every civilization that's gotten to the point where we are, they have never recovered. And if we do somehow recover, we would be the first in human history to do that, given where we are. Well, I I think uh, I just want to mention that something that you're probably aware of, but on Saturday night, last Saturday night, Elon Musk's company, XAI, announced their first product called Grok, which is an, a, it's a competitor of ChatGPT. Okay. Grok from, well, you know, he said the Hitchhiker's Guide to the, to the Galaxy, but that came, that itself came from Heinlein's uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. And so uh, to to grok something meant to deeply understand it on an intuitive level, et cetera, et cetera. 
but you could gr- you could grok something so much that you loved it with everything in you, but at the same time you hated it. And when you start to study grok, you can kind of understand that what you're looking at is universal doublethink. And so here we have Elon Musk, who was just at the UK's Artificial Intelligence Safety Forum on the 1st of November, saying for the umpteenth time that AI was one of the things he was most concerned about, the biggest risk to humanity, a dangerous risk to humanity. He signed an open letter, I think in February of this year, with a thousand other tech leaders about this being the biggest risk to humanity. And then on the 4th, Saturday night, he releases Grok. Well, I looked at the um, the website, the spot for the announcement of Grok, and Grok is artificial intelligence to help humanity understand the universe. So it, when I have an opportunity to say to somebody who is searching, where do I find this? Where do I find answers? How do we stop this? How do we turn it around? I am reminded of Alan always saying, the man in the mirror, be your own champion. Look within. I've heard him say, you know, people often say the kingdom of heaven is within, but it's the last place anybody wants to look. And I think, you know, I don't need to grok it. I don't need a machine to help me understand the universe because the understanding of the universe that I need is between my two ears, period. I think that scares a lot of people. No, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I, I know you're right. I'm, we've been saying since we actually started this podcast, you want the solution to this? Look in the mirror. You're the solution yeah. to this. Yeah. You know, Benjamin Franklin, he, I'm reminded by what, one of the things that he said. He said a lot of great things, but one of the things that stood out to me in particular has always stuck with me. He says, by making yourself better, the world is a better place. And, and people don't stop to think about just that basic thing. If you have this mindset about being that individual that you're talking about, being that better person and, and wanting to do great things for yourself, other people, that's going to resonate with other people. Other people are going to see that and that's going to catch on with them. I just wish people would get back to that, that initial point where we could do that. People, they don't want to be that individual. It, it scares them. You know, it, it terrifies them. It's easier for them to go along. It, it's funny because I was, I've got this right here. I'm sure you've heard of this book before. It's called The Crowd by Gustave yes. Le Bon. Yeah. And in here, he says, uh, mind you, this book was written in 1896. <laughs> when you talk about that to people, they're like, yeah, things have changed since 1896. And I'm like, not really. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they haven't. In here, 1896, he says specifically, he says, People don't want to know reality. Reality is too boring to people. They would rather go along with the crowd. They would rather be part of the the group as opposed to being an individual. They want to be entertained and they want to talk about things with other people in that crowd that keep them entertained. And that rings true today. It does all the way through and through. Absolutely. Because, you know, for the people who say, well, things have changed since 1896. Well, guess what? Human nature hasn't. Nope. The human condition is still the same. That's eternal. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, to totally switching gears, the other thing that I've been doing to try to just understand what the World War Three, just to simplify it, is I've been looking at things like uh, China's Belt and Road Initiative, the New Silk Road. I've been looking at what India is doing that counters that listening to some of the the outcomes of their conference. And then there are the smaller things that all tie into this, like Turkey has their own initiative, which is covering a certain part of territory. Uh, Armenia has something. They were just at a part of the uh, China's New Silk Road initiative meetings. And so I've been just digging into that a little bit because what I see, you know, if you're talking about does this go back to some kind of normal? Do things go back? And I, I say emphatically, no, no, no. 
because we are looking, I mean, all you have to do is look at how the world was structured 200 years ago and 500 years ago and a thousand years ago. Things really don't go back geopolitically. They're all, it's always structuring, restructuring, jockeying for position. Whose empire is the biggest? And I think right now what we're living through is a major major geopolitical restructuring that's, you know, 100 years on the books. But I did hear one thing that made me laugh this morning. Just one (laughs) thing that made you laugh? Well, I heard a lot. I, I, I laughed too much. But there was one thing that made me laugh. Some Indians were talking about their own initiatives and the dangers of what China is doing and so forth. And one Indian man said, it's not the belt and road initiative, the BRI. It's the bully and rule initiative. Well, and then he went on to because he's they not just, wrong. strong arm you into into taking their their deal. Yeah. Well, and the case that he the case that they presented was something that happened in 2010, actually before they announced the BRI where they got Sri Lanka, some kind of a port project in Sri Lanka ended up getting a loan from China to do this for billions of dollars that they would then had to repay. Which, by the way, it, you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Which, by the way, just <laughs> I wasn't trying to interrupt. I was just going to no. point out that one of the largest ports in the world, in order for that Belt and Road Initiative to work, is in Israel. Yes. Uh-huh. Isn't that funny? Isn't that just coinky dinkle? Uh, it's just a coincidence. I, you could, <laughs> yeah, you couldn't make that up. Yeah. I started to look at this, this Belt and Road Initiative, and I, I don't understand how the, the Chinese think they're going to make it work other than just pure muscle. There's a difference between, and I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, we're, our hands are clean, you know, the West's hands are clean on how we've done business in, in other parts of the world. I'm not saying that at all. But the way that we have done business in these other countries as far as like making deals with them to do resource extraction. It's been a far sight different than what the Chinese do when they go into a country. Uh, I, and I've, I've talked about this, and Bruce has talked about this, and, and Marty and everybody else, we've, we've talked about this time and again how they do this. The Chinese will go into a country and they will go up to the, you know, whoever the dictator or the warlord is, depending on where you are in the world, they'll go up to them and say, hey, um, you know, we would really like to help you out with some of your infrastructure problems here. Uh, you need some roads. You need some bridges. You need some. Uh, you need some electrical uh, grids. You you need uh, water treatment and, and all that stuff. We'd really love to help you out with that. Oh, uh, by the way, we're interested in that oil you have over there, or we're interested in that lithium or that uranium or whatever it is that they've got. And they'll say, okay, yeah, sure. And they will go in and they will supply the labor, you know, when they build all this stuff. So the Chinese will bring in their own. They will establish usually a military base, People's Liberation Army military base within that country. They will have all of the products shipped in there and they will have all of the workers housed on that facility and they will not interact with the local population. They will not spend money in that country. But all the money that goes into the infrastructure and everything, that garners favor for whoever the dictator in chief is. And the people in the country support that person. When in reality, they're not building anything. There, there's no actual GDP that's being generated within the country. And on top of that, this is what China will do in, say, like uh, South America, for example, or in like the Dominican Republic or something. They will go into a country, they will build the roads, and they will make them toll roads. And only Chinese nationals and Chinese vehicles can travel on them because the toll will be so high that the natives will not be able to afford it and they can't even use that infrastructure. So this is what they do. This is this is how their 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 game is when it comes to this. They don't give the people in these countries that they do this this Belt and Road Initiative. They don't give them a fair shake at all. It's just they go in, they strip all the resources out, the people that are uh, the the nationals in that country they get no kickbacks from that they get they get no increase in their standard of living in fact their their standard of living actually drops uh, in this in this type of a, a it's not even really a deal it's it's just more of a like I said a strong arming it's it's extortion and our our two generals of uh, uh, one was Southern Command one was Northern Command and I've got the uh, the Senate testimony of the Armed Services Committee from last year I'm happy to send it to you if you want it they talk sure. about just this thing under oath in front of the United States Senate on how they do this. And it's um, it's horrendous how they they're establishing this Belt and Road. And it's like I said, I'm not saying that, you know, the West's hands are clean on some of the deals we've done in uh, the third world in the last hundred years or so. But it was a damn sight better than what they're doing. Mm, Well, that is where I may politely disagree. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) I think it's just different. 
I think what the West does is different because if you look, and let's just say by the West, I mean the U.S., take a look at the U.S.'s involvement in Latin America When the U.S. wants a resource or wants to do something geopolitically, it typically sends the CIA or mercenaries down. There's government toppling. That's in Latin America. And that's how the U.S. operates. I mean, just go back to uh, United Fruit Corporation and Bernays and the CIA toppling a legitimately elected, democratically elected president so that they could put in somebody that was more amenable to the business deal that they had going there. So the U.S. is, or what the U.S. has done in the Middle East for the last 30 years. Well, we haven't actually, um, as far as the Middle East goes, I've, uh, again, you know, respectfully, we haven't actually done anything there. These other countries like Russia and China have been in there doing resource extraction. We haven't. Well, let me just give you a way to look at it. Right. Let's just I mean, this is just just one way to see it. Let's just say at the top, at the top of all of this, at the top of China and Russia and the U.S., you have a tiny little let's let's call it above the pyramid in the cloud where we don't really see who they are. Maybe they're the eye of the pyramid. We don't know. It's above Soros. It's above the Rothschilds. And this little cabal has their own plans and they use China and they use Russia and they use the U.S., then I would say, well, what the U.S. has done in the Middle East hasn't necessarily been about so much, so much about resource extraction as it has been about boots on the ground and military cooperation with geopolitics at a higher level. But if you look at the the deals that were made, like Blair, and Blair is just a sidekick of the, you know, Clinton, and, you know, they decided in advance where these oil deals were going to go to way before Gulf War and Iraq, and, you know, okay, this is who gets what. So resources have been taken out of the Middle East by the West, not just by China, not just by Russia, I think. But I do think that w- that it's geopolitics at the very highest level so that everybody gets to be the bully boy for a while. Yeah, I, I tend to agree uh, it, uh, as far as the, the geopolitical game goes. Absolutely. I'm not going to get any argument from me about that. But I, I do believe <laughs> you're right about the oil deals and things being split up. That does happen. But I look at how we ended up again, you know, it's, it's new research that I've done again. I'm, you know, I'm happy to share with you, but I look at how we got suckered into being in the Middle East to begin with. We don't pay. And, and I mean, this doesn't come from just me. This comes from people that have fought over there as well. And none of it made any sense. Even the ones that were fighting there at the time made no sense what was going on. And so what were we doing there to begin with? Well, that's true. Yeah. What were we doing there? That is yeah. true. Again, I have my own opinions on it, but I think I think we got sold a bill of goods, in my humble opinion. I, I, I mean, you know, see, Afghanistan is that is an interesting, interesting case study because you have to ask yourself the question. And I'm not just talking about Russia being there and fighting the Afghanis and then the U.S. was there fighting the Afghanis with whatever, you know, Western allies that they had. I'm going all the way back to when the Brits were there a hundred and some odd years oh, ago. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, I, you know, and uh, I'm not I haven't studied deeply that history, but I'm asking myself the question if we're saying, you know, what were we doing there? Was it ever about winning something? Was it ever about that or was it always about resource management? Because what did the U.S. do when they went into Afghanistan? Where did you see the soldiers? Guarding the poppy fields. Yes. And guarding them. <laughs> guarding the poppy fields. Yeah. And you even I remember that that report from um, uh, from Fox News, actually, Geraldo Rivera. And I, I'm not a fan of Geraldo, but. <laughs> He at least. Well, who did, is? Yeah, right. He at least uh, interviewed in one of the. Uh, it was one of the army majors. He said, "Yeah, yeah, we um we load that up on the airplanes. Yeah, that's what we do." 
And it's like, you're really saying that? <laughs> yeah. You're really telling people that? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, yes, that that's what they were doing. And and when we were in, um, I think it was the first Gulf War, we were guarding the oil fields. We weren't we weren't taking them. We weren't we weren't doing anything. We were just guarding them. So, you know, it's just, yeah, what are we doing there? We are coming up on our final few minutes here. So it's been a great conversation, as always. Can't believe how fast time goes when you're on. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for having me on regularly. I was thinking about that this morning before you called. I always like talking to you, and it's it's a nice opportunity that you give me. Thank you. Oh, well, you don't have to thank me. You're welcome here anytime. I've told you from the start, there's always a chair over <laughs> here for you whenever you want. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. So would you like to tell us about what you've got going on on Cutting Through the Matrix and about your latest podcast, which you briefly mentioned earlier? Well, the latest excerpt up is on Edward Bernays, and you're, that, that touches a little bit in the CIA United. <laughs> yeah, for, so, oh, that's, that, a, that's a juicy yes. character, isn't it? Bernays? Yeah. yeah. That's right. And that was actually came out of our conversation because this is content that I did not create. And when this person heard you say, I want Bernays, they're like, okay, I got it. So that one is, you know, by your special request, it's up. The real history that went up last week was on the pretendian, that one little pretendian Buffy St. Marie. And that was a I really had a good time exploring that in a little bit more detail than what was given to us by the CBC. And the real history that's going up tomorrow is with Neil Foster. And I talked to him once a month and he brought some really interesting news to this week's discussion. So things that I had that I was completely unaware of and that was interesting to get into. So that's a good one. And then as always... Every single Sunday, there's the Redux, which is Alan. And that's, that's the main thing, is that people really should visit the website, go into the archive. There are thousands of hours. And Alan was amazing. His knowledge of history was profound. Indeed, it was. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to that content that you've got up there, and as well as your new podcast. I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. I will see you in two weeks, yes? Oh, and by the way, if you run across another draft headline, please send that over because I have plenty to say on this. <laughs> if you run across another one, be sure and let me know. I, I will do that. That is Melissa from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to get over there and take a look at the treasure trove of information that she and the other curators, where they maintain the life collected works of the late, great Alan Watt. Again, that is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Also, her podcast is Real History with Melissa. That is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Well, Melissa, it's been a great conversation. I will see you the next time. That is to be determined because of the holiday. So I'd like to thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening.